Well, welcome back to the podcast uh, here on the back porch today. Instead of Jason, I kicked him out and brought in a guest, Lisa Bailey, and we're going to talk about her organization, Classical Conversations. Lisa Bailey, glad to have you on the podcast today. Um, I challenged you to, 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 to bring a poem, and I think you have. I have indeed. Thank you, Steve, for having me. I'm really glad to be here. I always like to talk about education, and I actually really like to talk about poetry. It's funny that you asked me to bring a poem. I have been in my work with Classical Conversations developing a new resource for um for our CC families, but actually for all families of little kids who want something to do with their littlest learners at home. And one of our sections is poetry. And I came across this poem by Edgar Guest that I do not remember from my childhood, um, but it struck a deep chord with me as I pondered moms and dads and and what we bring each to the family and um, some of the discussions my husband and I have had about why children need both a mother and a father because there are some things that dads offer and do with our children that moms would never do um, but (laughs) but that kids benefit from and so this is actually a poem uh, by Edgar Guest called Storytelling and it's about that age-old practice of reading to the kids before bed. So let me read that for y'all, Steve. Um, Most every night when they're in bed and both their little prayers have said, they shout for me to come upstairs and tell them tales of gypsies bold and eagles with the claws that hold a baby's weight and fairy sprites that roam the woods on starry nights. And I must illustrate these tales, must imitate the northern gales that toss the Indian's canoe and show the way he paddles, too. If in the story comes a bear, I have to pause and sniff the air and show the way he climbs the tree to steal the honey from the bees. And then I buzz like angry bees and sting him on his nose and knees and howl in pain till mother cries. That pair will never shut their eyes while all that noise up there you make, you're simply keeping them awake. And then they whisper, just one more. And once again, I'm forced to roar new stories every night, they ask. And that is not an easy task. I have to be so many things, that frog that croaks, the lark that sings, the cunning fox, the frightened hen. But just last night, they stumped me when... They wanted me to twist and squirm and imitate an angle worm. <sighs> At last, they tumble off to sleep, and softly from their room I creep and brush and comb the shock of hair I tossed about to be a bear. Then mother says, well, I should say, you're just as much a child as they, but you can bet I'll not resign that storytelling job of mine. Mm. I love it. That's great. That's I've 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 had some of those conversations with my wife about you know if you scare them, <laughs> you've got to go back up there and settle them down again. But, um, but uh, I, I remember you, you wouldn't trade it for the world, would you? Oh no! Uh, one of my fond memories is uh, trying to maintain four different voices in Wind in the Willows 
Yeah. And at some point, my second son saying to me in one reading, Dad, you're using the wrong voice for mole. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? I, uh, I can remember reading to the girls when they were quite a bit older, um, The Indian in the Cupboard. And we, we mm. all loved the story. And, and later on, a couple of years after that, um, we discovered – I'm dating myself now. Oh, we discovered the VHS tape at the library and brought it home and popped it in. And my oldest daughter said um, – that is not the right voice. That's not, <laughs> that's not what he sounds like. And I'm like, right. what in the world? You know that was me, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and and it's a good emphasis as well. I, t- I tell my young students, uh, high school age students, as they prepare to head out and at some point in the near future get married, yep. I tell my young men in particular, don't don't leave it all up to your dear wife, your, your children. The statistics are amazing. The, the the bump up in the intellectual life of a child who's who's got both parents actively involved and in particular actively involved in reading to them. Absolutely. Um, and I'm I'm thankful that, that my wife and I have shared those duties with our four boys and um think that it's a it's a key point to make to folks that, that many of our listeners are homeschoolers mm-hmm. and there's this this sort of bad idea that that, that one parent does the homeschooling. Mm-hmm. Contraire, <laughs> it's right. it's 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 a tough job, and you need both of you actively involved in it. Yeah. Even if one maybe has the greater share of of time duties, uh, if both aren't involved, it's probably not going as well as it might. Well, and a lot of it is attitude. Um, our, our children, and I, I say this a lot to folks that I'm talking to about homeschooling, but about just living life with their kids, the attitude about education and about learning and about a thirst and a curiosity for knowledge um, Mm. is caught more than it's taught. And so if it's modeled at home, if, if kids see mom and dad reading and interested in a bunch of subjects and, and ready to say, Gosh, I don't know, but I bet we could find out together. Um, that's yep. the kind of attitude that's caught and that extends learning into a lifelong pursuit, right? For everybody. Right. It becomes generational and they pass it along to the to your grandkids. So yep. um absolutely. Um well, so let's get to the topic which we've really already started, which is uh uh, uh Education in the home and um, your connection to classical conversations. I thought we'd just start out asking you how your family got involved with this organization and, and tell our listeners a little bit about what classical conversations is about. Sure. Thank you for asking, Steve. Um, my husband, David, and I, my husband is a, a pastor, and uh, we have homeschooled both of our girls from the very beginning. Uh, we had some some friends that we went to seminary with who were actually missionaries to Brazil and they had kids just a year or two before we did. And um, my friend Alicia kept saying, Oh, you need to homeschool. You need to homeschool. And she would come and stay with us on furlough and, and say, girl, you're already doing it. You're already doing everything. You might as well just say you're homeschooling. Cause that's what you're doing with your, with your little kids, with your girls now. Um, and so we we did jump into the homeschooling um, front, and I, I people say why why did you ever want to do that? And I'll tell you, Steve, um, 
It might not be a very noble motive, but I was jealous of anybody seeing that light bulb come on in my daughter's eyes. <laughs> um, I wanted that. It was so much fun to introduce them to a new book or a new idea um, or an experiment that worked and see the joy and the dawning understanding in their eyes. And I just really wanted all of those moments for myself. Um, our older daughter was really ready to do a lot of intellectual things that her age did not proclaim her ready to do. And so she would have been ready to to read and to um, explore academics before the school system would have let her in. And so we enjoyed doing it together at home anyway. So we began to to homeschool and I had read a lot about different models of education. And I was really drawn to the classical model of education. I tell people that I went to the library and I think, you know, every every week or so, every two weeks for probably nine months, I checked out the same book about classical education and I would read it and I would get really excited and I would think, oh, I can't do that. It's just too much. And so I would take it back to the library, but I continually was drawn um, into classical education. And so we began to educate our daughters classically um, to give them lots of material to chew on and to ask them lots of questions and to try to draw connections between all the different things that we were learning. Um, what we explored on a nature walk integrated with uh, the things that we were learning to read um, as they were growing up. And we found um, that we that it really resonated with our family style uh, is following their curiosity. But then um, I had started a, a neighborhood co-op with some local homeschooling moms and we had grown and grown for several years. And we had about, I don't know, 60 or 70 kids that came together every week and moms just took turns teaching different things. And um, I loved working with, strangely enough, with the teenagers. So I would work with the junior <laughs> high kids happily. And I loved their pushback and I loved their questions. And I loved it when they asked why about stuff. So I had a couple of friends who discovered classical conversations and they said, we found this new program and it's really amazing and it's really great. It's really good for our little kids and they have stuff for older kids too. And it seems like a cool program. And so I looked at some of the literature and um, I, we were very interested, um, but at the time we were planting a brand new church. And so financially it was not really in the cards for us to take that on right away. Um, but then I discovered that there was a need uh, in a local group for um, somebody to, within Classical Conversations, work with teenagers. And I mean, actually, one of my friends said, oh, you love our kids and they love you. And we really need somebody to, to teach this in, with, with these older kids. Why don't you just call this lady, call the lady and talk to her? And it, and it turned out that this lady was Lee Bortons, the founder of Classical Conversations, who at that time lived in Winston-Salem. Um, and, you know, in my naivete, I just called her straight up, just called her house one day and said, hey, we have a mutual friend who thinks that I might be a good fit for this. And I don't really know. I'm very interested, but I'm not sure if I'm what you're looking for. Oh, come to my house. I'm having this meeting on Saturday. It was a God thing, Steve. I did not know at the time that Lee had to interview and 
pass on all the directors. And she only had these meetings where she laid out the program and vetted the directors twice a year. And I'd happened to call her on Wednesday before one of the Saturday meetings. So I went and um, long story short, got plugged into teaching what in classical conversations is challenge B, roughly the eighth grade equivalent. Um, and I love, and, and it just sounded so fascinating to me. We were going to teach these eighth graders Greek and formal logic and algebra and physical science and literature. Um, and we were going to teach them to do a mock trial. Mm, and mm-hmm. I did not, it just sounded like great fun to me. And I didn't know until afterwards that, yep, she hired me so readily because nobody else was foolish enough to want to do that in a room with eighth graders. And so <laughs> I am. Um, I had a mad three weeks. I learned all about, I knew nothing about Greek except for that it was not a regular alphabet. So I had to learn the alphabet before I could start learning the language. Um, So I learned right ahead of my students for a couple of years. Um, And and that was in 2004 that our family got involved with CC. And the girls joined what is called the Foundations Program for elementary students. And I began working with those um, eighth graders And the girls got involved in the programs, and I saw the richness of what it offered. Um, For the younger kids in elementary school, it's a really great spine of memory work. Um, It is memory work pegs, for lack of a better word, um, Mm -hmm. that we implant, okay, that we pound in to these kids in a variety of subjects. So they memorize um, world geography. They memorize um, continents and oceans, but also countries and states and capitals and land masses and geographical terms. They memorize a timeline of world history that goes from creation up through the present. Uh, They memorize English grammar and some Latin grammar and some math and some science terms. Um, And it's and they have great fun doing it Uh, because with these little kids, what we're offering them is lots of good information um, in ways that they are primed to take it in. So because little kids love repetition and they and they love to memorize. We give them lots of stuff to memorize while they're happy to do it. And then as they grow and move into middle school age, um, we teach them what to do with what they've learned and how to put it all together, which is what I did with my eighth grade students, um, trying to engage them when they got to the asking of why does this work? Why do you say that? And how does that fit together? And all that stuff that we memorized, what good is it? And how does it help me understand the world and science and literature and history? Yeah. The, the, the beauty of that age is that, uh, they're already, uh, curious, or maybe the best word is uh, cantankerous. A good teacher just teaches them how to do that in the right way. And, uh, it, it amazes me how some teachers try to keep a, a middle school student in the elementary format of just listen to what I say and yes. be and quiet. That, and that doesn't fit well. them at all. It really <laughs> doesn't fit them. And and I really think that the beauty, well, one of the beauties of the classical education model is that 
it takes the developmental stages of a child, the way God made us to be and to learn the nature of a child. It marries that um, nature of how we learn to how we teach and what we expose our children to and what we um, give them the skills to do. So in those early ages, what I loved was that the girls were learning lots of information. They were really building a firm foundation of knowledge. They knew a lot of stuff. And and I had friends who said, yeah, but you're not really talking about what that means with them. And it's, well, sometimes if they ask, but they're not really developmentally, they're not interested in putting those pieces together yet but they will get there. And so I saw them get there. I saw them think, oh, well, that those those are timeline cards. Those pieces of information that we memorized on that timeline, that happened right before this other thing. And I could see them saying, wow, I wonder if those events are connected. Is there a cause there? Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe people in Germany for instance, were willing to entertain Hitler's craziness because of what happened to them at the end of World War I. And so I could see that those middle schoolers beginning to, to kind of connect the dots. And that was really exciting to me. I thought, you know what that is? That fits with the way I know middle schoolers to be. They are sort of cantankerous, but not just to be disrespectful, but because they are ready to do more than be a baby bird. They are ready yep. to go out and, and put the worm together for themselves. Um, and then I loved it as my girls got older, seeing them grow through that push and pull, that wrestling stage to the point where they had become convinced that they had something to share. They they became passionate about something, their position or a skill that they had or an interest that they had delved into. And those older students became passionate and they were really eager to move somebody else with what moved them. And so the whole idea that in classical conversations, we give those older students tools of persuasive communication so that they can actually do something with that passion they have to share what they've learned and what they understand about what they know it made a lot of sense to me. And I loved um, talking about classical conversations and talking about classical education. Even before my girls had gone all through the program, I believed in the value of the program. It resonated with the way I saw kids growing and learning. But as my girls came through it, it was truly a celebration for me and my husband, David, to see the pieces of their education click into place and see them not just knowing a lot of stuff, but um, having gained the skills to use what they knew and had come to understand to really be a force of good, a virtue in the world that that they were going to live in. And that was a real blessing to us and, and made us feel uh, victorious that this had been a journey, a life well spent pouring into our girls. Hey, during this brief break, I wanted to encourage you to use the share buttons we have on our website in order to help us get folks tuned into the show. 
Our goal is to encourage as many educators, homeschoolers, NFL punters, and donut makers as we can with these podcasts. So help us get the word out. Share our Facebook page. Send folks a link to one of your favorite episodes. Do whatever you can to help us share this craziness with either your best friends or, if it's more appropriate, your worst enemies. We will love you all the more for sharing our love. Thanks. And now, back to the show. Well, so let's get a little bit uh, more specific on classical conversations. Is it a, how would you describe it to folks, a a curriculum or a co-op or uh, something unique to those things? Isn't that interesting? We, what we tell people is that classical conversations is a classical Christian community. And what makes us different, I mean, there are lots of classical education companies, lots of classical yeah. education curriculum companies that produce really great things that families all over are using to the glory of God and to the benefit of their students and their families. Uh, and there's a lot of, of great Christian schools out there, and there are a lot of great Christian curriculum companies out there that really do seek to to um, to put the Lord back into education. What sets CC apart the most in my mind, Steve, is the community. We have lots of families who have kind of buzzed around classical conversations for years, or, or we have, you know, I have friends who always said, wow, I love what you're doing with your girls, but I could never do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There are lots of people who say, especially in this post pandemic or mid pandemic or wherever (laughs) we are in this, there are lots of people that have been thrown at home. They are thrown on their own resources. And lots of people have said, well, who have said I could never homeschool have discovered that, yeah, if push comes to shove, I actually can homeschool. But even those people are looking for help. They, they want a community. They want some support. Um, they want some encouragement. They need a little inspiration. How is this supposed to look? They need some inspiration. And how is this supposed to look? They need some encouragement that, yes, you, you can do this. You absolutely have what it takes to do this. But then they also need some equipping. They need people who will come alongside and say, yes, you can. And here's how. Here's a way that that can help you. So CC does have a curriculum, um, but we also have communities where we live out that community and practice that community together. Where, for instance, in the foundations program um, that's designed for four-year-olds through mostly sixth grade, so 12-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds, those children come with their parents one day a week and they are in a small group. So they are with a trained tutor. The parents and the kids are with a trained tutor who is going to go over all the memory work for the week and review all the memory work that has come in the past. And and they're going to do it. And you're going to, as parents, you're going to sit in the back and you're going to think, oh, okay, two things are happening here. I am reclaiming my education because I sure never knew that. (laughs) And I am learning how to practice this at home. So when I go home, if I want to be sure that we are shoring up our memory work, I can also sing this song or do this chant or play this game. 
Um, and then also in that foundations community, our little kids have an opportunity every week to share. So with, you know, four and five year olds, sometimes it's more like show and tell. With older students, they may do um, a three minute presentation on some topic that they have chosen, a, a platypus. Let me tell you everything I know about a platypus. And so they learn the rudimentary skills of public speaking. And because they learn at a very early age, they gain a lot of confidence that many of us as adults don't have, even as grown-ups, to talk about what we think and what we know and what we believe with other people who then will ask us questions that we can answer. Um, so we do, and there is a foundations guide that that the tutors use and that parents use at home as the spine of what they're doing at home. So there is memory work. There's English grammar, memory work, Latin grammar. There's a timeline. There's a history sentence. There's science facts. There are math facts that are practiced every week. And then at home, parents who are uh, teaching their children to read would choose their own reading curriculum and their own math computation practice curriculum. And people say, well, but what's the best thing to use? Well, for math, the best thing to use in the early years is whatever you will do every day because math needs to be an everyday thing. So you need to pick a curriculum that you and your child um, are comfortable with, that you guys will use happily or sort of happily every day. And then you use whatever works for you to teach your child to read. And that's what we do in those early years. Um, so we have that as a curriculum that we have an essentials of English language program. It's a very intense um, English grammar and writing program that is mostly attended by fifth and sixth graders within our communities. Fourth graders are welcome to come as well. So fourth, fifth and sixth graders can participate in the afternoon in a program called Essentials, and it teaches them English like they were learning a foreign language. It teaches them the English grammar rules. It teaches them about all the parts of speech and about all the sentence purposes and sentence patterns. They practice becoming better writers, and it's amazing to me how proficient they are. Um, by the time they hit middle school, they actually know the fundamentals of good writing and are very used to practicing them. And so they're ready to start polishing up how to generate good ideas when they hit middle school. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that for the younger kids, it there's a curriculum that is used as a spine and parents add to it as they wish at home. For middle school and high school, we do have what we call the challenge program. And it is a curriculum. There is a guide that's given to families that families get as part of their tuition for the program. And then those students attend um, six hour seminar one day a week with a trained director and a group of peers up to 12 students. Uh, and they, they learn six subjects. So they, they will do Latin every year. Uh, they will do science. They will do history. They will do a lot of rhetorical skills. They will do a lot of debate, a lot of logic. Um, so in six subject areas, our students in middle and high school have a complete curriculum designed for them um, 
and it helps them to gain skill at making those connections that we talked about and learning how to present ideas persuasively. And this is still working off of the, I'm assuming, one day a week coming together and the the other days of the week working in a home school. Right. Right. So it is what the course guide looks like a college syllabus. So it will tell you um, in every week what is to be covered at home. And so students know what they're supposed to cover at home so that they are prepared for rich, fruitful discussions with their peers when they come back together. Um, So ideas are wrestled with, uh, concepts are introduced and expanded, sometimes explained, um, wrestled with. There's lots of opportunity for debating, for class participation, for class discussion, for sharing papers, for sharing presentations. So for for our girls, they viewed it as the best of both worlds because they had a class, they had peers, they had classmates that they went through schooling with, that they graduated with, that they're still in touch with, but they were also homeschooled. And so they had the element, the, they called it the best of both worlds. And for us, classical education, classical conversations was the best of all worlds to us too, because although there was a tutor that they met with once a week and there was a syllabus, we were still the homeschooling parents. So we could choose to scale or to tailor the work in that syllabus and say, for our family, for this semester, this is what, these are the skills that we're working on. So we'll be prepared for class discussion, but we're not going to perhaps write all of these papers because we are working on a different skill that's taking our student a little bit more um, time and energy in this arena this semester. The win-win. Yeah, it's kind of a recommended course of study, but you still have the uh, uh, power to to, to modify it to your students' needs. Right, right. Um, and, And it was great for our girls because there were, you know, you know, Steve, how easy it is to say, oh, well, we just won't finish that paper. I know you know. I know you know how to do it. <laughs> As homeschoolers, we let too much slide sometimes. But our stu- our girls found that it was really good to have other friends who were alongside them. And they could look and think, well, they did it. I could do that. I should do that. I will do that. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to be said for the camaraderie of schooling. Um, my seniors every year write a a senior thesis paper, and it really is, uh, it's not a competition, but it is a a camaraderie. They they do it together. And when one of them's down, the others are around going, hey, you can do this, sir. Here, here, let us try and help. Or, well, tell us what's got you stuck, that sort of thing, that that they may never say to a teacher because that might affect my grade or they're just so scary or whatever. Um, Right. I think it is, uh, as you've described it, the best of of both worlds. Um, what's what's some common pushback people maybe give about classical conversations? Well, a lot of people, you know, I talked a lot about the memory work and how I really thought that was cool that our kids were memorizing so much. A lot of people um, initially, especially, push back on the memory work because they say, "Well, that's how is that fun for your right. children?" Um, they're just but but you know what? For it's 
it's a lot more fun for little children than it is for you as the parent. <laughs> I can remember uh, memorizing, trying to memorize the timeline with my girls. And we had these timeline cards. And so they would get eight new ones every week. And and I was real determined to um, to be right there with them. And so for the first, you know, four weeks, the first 32 cards, I was pretty good. I was sticking with them. I could memorize as fast as they could. But it quickly got away from me um, and they they could memorize. They were little sponges. Their brains were still super plastic and mine was getting a little brittle. And so the, your little kids actually do like to memorize things and they are good at memorizing things. And so you give them a lot to memorize so that when they're older and they want to talk about things, they have something good to talk about. You right. give them quality material to memorize so they have the fodder for good conversations. But the cool thing, and, and, and I learned more and more about classical education and how valuable it was and, and trying to teach with the grain of the child and, and what they're good at at that time. And, and, and I will admit that even the things that didn't make sense to me at the outset, as I trusted the method, the classical method and the model. And I, I began to see the fruit. I, I was able to see that they do begin to put the pieces together and connect the dots when they get to be a little bit older. Um, and then they are armed with not only the knowledge, but the understanding when they get to to be teenagers and they want to actually communicate persuasively about an idea they have all of that. So we have the pushback there. Um, and then, you know, we still get some folks who say, but I don't, I don't see how that's going to work when I'm afraid when I get to high school, my child, I'm supposed to teach my child things that I don't know. Well, um, I, I, you know, I have parents say, yeah, well, chemistry is right out. I did not do that well when I was 16 and I can't do that well at all now that I'm 36 and that's I don't see how that's going to work and so what we have to help parents see is that we are lead learners in the home that we can model for our student how to ask good questions and how to go in search of good answers and at classical conversations one of the things that we teach parents to do is how to model good habits, but also how to begin to develop those habits in ourselves. How do we go about redeeming our education? Um, and, and in our summer conferences, Steve, we talk a lot to, that, are, that are geared for parents. We talk a lot about what is the classical model and what are the tools of classical learning that will help you as a parent Reclaim your education, but while you're doing that, shepherd your child through these channels of learning that you wish you had. So what are the tools that will help you as a parent ask the right questions and focus on the right things so that your child continues to learn and grow as you want them to? Yeah, well, that that makes it sound exactly as you've described it as a, a learning community um, the adults are as much in the part of that community as the, as the kids. We think of schools as a place where kids come together to learn. And I emphasize to my faculty at my school that we're actually a school within the school to yeah. the extent that we 
promote learning amongst ourselves and have yes. a good, solid discussion at lunch instead of just, hey, how about that football team? Um, <laughs> I sometimes say teaching is a selfish profession. I, I, I get way more out of my absolutely life as a teacher than any given student is going to get from me. Oh, um, yeah. And, oh, and, yeah. and that's a, a, a marvelous thing for parents uh, to grow with their children and not feel like they have to, to, to be, quote unquote, already finished in order to provide an education. It's it's a furtherance of their own education when they jump into it. Absolutely. And I really think that our children appreciate that learning is a lifelong pursuit when they see us willing to do the work alongside them. I know um, my younger daughter and I sat and did high school chemistry together. Um, and there were, t- and, and I can remember thinking to be uh, perfectly honest with you. I remember thinking, I cannot believe I'm doing this again. I did this a whole year when I was in high school and now here I sit doing this again. And our classical conversations chemistry was way more chemistry than I remembered embracing <laughs> as a high school student. And I would get to points where I would say, you know what, Sarah, this is a little beyond me. And I think it's a math thing and I don't remember how to do it. You just need to go ask daddy. And she would say, no, no, don't make me ask daddy. I don't, understand. <laughs> I don't understand it as fast when he explains it to me. And I would, ha- and so I would say, fine, I will go and daddy can teach me, can remind me, and I will come back and teach you. Um, and I did not realize the lesson that I was teaching to her that, okay, so you together, mama, you are helping me identify Where's the gap? Where is the thing that Mm. I don't know that needs to be filled? And then you knew where to go. So you went to get it. And so I I didn't realize until she was in college um, and had gotten into a class that her advisor had let her take this class and she did not have the prerequisite for that class. And she began to realize that there were gaps in her knowledge that were going to prevent her from really doing what she needed to do. But she didn't quit and she didn't go demand that the teacher provide it for her. She figured out what it was. What grammar am I missing? What what words are they using? What ideas have I not had yet? So she found those ideas and went to a place. She found the resource on her own, taught herself, and then came back and fit right in. And I thought, wow, yeah. that was a lesson that I never intended to teach but I did simply because I was willing to learn alongside of her. Well, often on the back porch, we, we, we sit out here and talk about the fact that, that education has, has somewhat been redefined uh, as of late the last 150 years or so, away from what it, it was for almost 2,000 years, which was the cultivation of wisdom and virtue. Yes. And in particular with virtue, we almost immediately go to the moral virtues. And I'm so thankful that I have Aquinas and others teaching me from the past that, yes, there are moral virtues and you need those and they're center, but there are intellectual virtues. There are these things that we become intellectually that a true education is, is focused on cultivating, passing along, working within the student. And that kind of independence that you just described on your daughter's part is exactly the kind of thing I think most parents covet for their children. They're just, yes, I'm not sure how to get and 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 when I talk with folks I say it's it's much more of something that they're going to catch from you. Yes. by what they see you doing than some curriculum out there that's got all of the 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 formula for building an independent thinker that we, we 
we loud critical thinking and that sort of thing these days. Yeah. But uh, it, it's it's really a uh, a set of virtues that are, are are better caught than taught. It's been a, a joy chatting with you. Um, I want to I want to round things out with uh, sure. letting you talk about some resources that we'll then post on our website so folks can get to them. But I know you've mentioned uh, summer workshops that, that you have. Um, any other resources? Uh, just just give us a, a survey of what Classical Conversations offers. Sure. So if you're interested in classical education in general and, and classical conversations programs specifically, um, you can go to our website, um, classicalconversations.com. Um, you can request one of our Magalogs. It's a big catalog that has more than just books for sale. It tells you about our programs. It defines what CC believes. Um, it gives you some ideas about what we've been talking about. Um, you maybe didn't realize we were talking about grammar, dialectic, and rhetoric, and the skills that are built into our children at every stage. So our website has a, a wealth of information on it. You also, if you are interested in finding out where local communities are close to you, on our website, you can enter your zip code and it will put you in touch with some local directors who can answer your specific questions about groups that are close to your home and availability of groups um, for all of your children. Uh, we have an Everyday Educator podcast that actually that I host every week, Steve, and um so there are years worth of Everyday Educator podcasts that you can click on and download and listen to, um, some just about classical education in general. Sometimes we will talk through a classical education book. Um, sometimes we're talking about a, a specific classical conversations program. So you'll be able to find program information there as well. And I did mention that we have summer conferences coming up beginning in May all over, actually all over the world. We will have what we call practicum. Um, and this year, we our theme, it's called Attending to the Essentials, the Art of Grammar. Uh, it's our practicum 2021 theme. So you can go to Parent practicum.com and find an event near you. Find out more about that, uh, what you'll be able to do at that event. And if you are just really wondering what the classical model is all about and if it's a good fit for your family's educational goals and, and really what help is there for parents who were not educated classically but find that it really resonates with them. Uh, a practicum is a great one-day event that can introduce you both to the classical model and to classical conversations, and this year to English grammar. So parentpracticum.com. <laughs> Wonderful. And, and, and you mentioned this in passing, but I want to emphasize it to our listeners. Uh, classical conversations is not just nationwide here in the United States, but, a, but, yes. but truly an around-the-world uh, organization that has groups Almost yeah. everywhere you can you can imagine. So somebody listening, if you're worried, hey, I'm in Idaho and, and you guys are in North Carolina or something, no. you know, it, it's it's not a local movement. 
Nope. We have programs in every state. We have program. We have communities in Russia, in the Philippines, in Singapore, in Brazil, um, in Canada, all, all over. Wonderful. Well, thank you again for your time and for uh, sharing with us about this this great resource. Uh, again, I'm going to put many of the links that Lisa has talked about today and some of the, the resources uh, on our webpage for this episode. Uh, so please follow up. And uh, in particular, check out her podcast as well. Uh, I know most of our listeners are, are hungry for every bit of help they can get. And so... Um, uh, the humor is found here often. Uh, the practical stuff is somewhere else. But uh, thank you, Lisa. It's been fun talking with you. Yeah, and enjoyed it. Thanks for having me a lot. Listeners, we'll, we'll see you back in a couple of weeks for another episode. Balls. Balls.